Okay, guys, welcome back. It's me, Professor D. And on this podcast, I'm going to be talking about anemia. Now, whether you're testing for the AANP or the ANCC, regardless of the state that you're testing in, anemia specifically, iron deficiency anemia pops up very often. Like I said, guys, I'm starting this podcast and the content that you're going to see the most on your state exam, that's what I'm starting with. I don't believe in fluff. I'm only going to give you the meat and potatoes. So if I'm talking about it, you need to know it. Now, you guys know what iron deficiency anemia is. It's when the patient's iron is too low. Either they're not making enough iron or they're losing too much iron. And usually it's due to uh, chronic blood loss, but it can be uh, due to other factors as well, which I'll cover in a moment. Now, when it comes to iron deficiency anemia, you have to recognize these two words. When you see this, you need to be thinking iron deficiency anemia, okay? Hear me out. Microcytic hypochromic, iron deficiency anemia. Microcytic, what's that? That's when the red blood cells are uh, smaller than the average, so it's going to be less than 80. Hypochromic is when there's a decreased amount of hemoglobin that's found in the red blood cells. Guys, remember, hemoglobin, that's what's carrying the oxygen in the blood. Who's affected more? Women. Now, I don't have any scientific evidence in front of me. I'm just saying this is my personal thought, which I don't give too often. However, I believe that the reason that women are affected more than men is because women have what? They have menstrual cycles and they lose a lot of blood through that. But the point is, it's very important for you to know who is more affected and women are more affected with iron deficiency anemia than men are. As I've told you before on uh, my previous podcast, um, your state exam, again, guys, Regardless of the state that you're testing in, whether you're testing for AANP or ANCC, they are very big on primary prevention measures. It's always easier, better, more cost effective to prevent than to treat. Okay. So they are very big on teaching and risk factors. So you need to know the risk factors for iron deficiency anemia. I'm going to list off the most important ones that you absolutely need to know. Being an adolescent especially if you're female, taking um, chronic medications that can cause bleeding such as aspirin or NSAIDs or, you know, um, aspirin and NSAIDs can also cause what? Ulcers that tend to do what? Bleed. Having chronic kidney disease. Age, being older than 65 years of age. Having low socioeconomic um, status. And guys, a lot of that is linked into... um, the type of food that's purchased because if a patient has low economic status, they're going to purchase cheaper foods because their priority is just getting food in their body, not really uh, the nutrition and they can't afford it. Okay. So that makes sense. And of course, pregnancy. Why? Because when a patient's pregnant, what happens? It has, they have an influx of fluid, right? So then that patient may experience what we know as um, hemodilutional anemia. All right, so what is this patient going to come in and complain of that you need to even be thinking of iron deficiency anemia on on top of your other differential diagnoses? I'm going to talk about your differential diagnoses in a second. But what are the complaints going to be? Number one up there, guys, is fatigue. 
Patients are going to complain of being tired all the time. They're going to have exercise intolerance. Any little activity and they're worn out. Dyspnea upon exertion. Heart palpitations, tachycardia. Why do you think that's happening? The heart's actually trying to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compensate. The heart's trying to compensate so the heart rate goes up because it's trying to push out more blood. The RBCs, the carry um, iron and, um, excuse me, um, oxygen, right? The patient's going to complain of headache, cold intolerance. And here's a biggie. I see this. This pops up on the test a lot. Pika, they'll have craving for ice, starch, clay, basically um, food that's not food that has no nutritional value whatsoever. You see pica, you see fatigue, um, activity intolerance, cold intolerance. Anemia needs to be one of those diagnoses on top of your list for differential diagnoses. All right. So speaking of differential diagnoses, what else would you have on that list? Okay, if we're talking about iron deficiency anemia on that list, as far as differential diagnoses is concerned, you're also going to have what? Alpha and beta thalassemia trait. I'm going to go over that in another podcast because those two are asked about on boards a lot. Okay, what else are you going to have on that list? Possible gastric um, bleed gastritis, peptic ulcer disease, varices, hypothyroidism. Remember those signs of hypothyroidism where everything's slowing down, right? Patients tired all the time. That's going to be a differential diagnosis for your iron deficiency anemia because a lot of those signs and symptoms match up. Renal failure as well. Remember, renal failure, guys, is a risk factor for iron deficiency anemia. So that's going to be on your list for differential diagnoses as well. All right, diagnostic tests, guys, on top of that list, you know, you're going to get the CBC. You're going to be drawing that patient's iron levels. You want to look at their hemoglobin levels, and you expect the hemoglobin to be what? Down, okay? Um for pediatric patients, you expect the hemoglobin to be less than 11. For, you know, regular adults, you're going to see the hemoglobin less than 12 when it comes to iron deficiency and anemia. Again, if you were to do a peripheral smear, these are your two key words, guys. What is that RBC going to look like? Hypochromic microcytic. You're going to see it again. Don't say I didn't warn you. Uh, what other tests are you going to do? You're going to be looking at the patient's total iron binding capacity. And that's going to be increased. There's, there is no problem with um, the capacity to bind the iron. The problem is not having enough iron itself. So while the iron is going to be low, the total iron binding capacity is going to be increased. Okay. What else would you be looking at? Ferritin. Do you expect the ferritin, to, the serum ferritin to be high or low? You expect it to be low. Matter of fact, um, you expect that ferritin, um, that test is the golden standard for pregnant women. When we're looking to see if they have iron deficiency anemia, that is a golden standard test for pregnancy. But overall speaking, when you do that ferritin, you expect that to be low. You expect the iron to be low. You expect the total iron binding capacity to be high because guess what? There's no iron binding. 
Does that make sense? The hemoglobin you expect to be low. What about reticulocyte? The reticulocyte you expect to be down. Now, remember that reticulocyte, guys, it tells you the ability of the bone marrow to produce those RBCs. Let me tell you when you would have expected that reticulocyte to be high, when we're looking at sickle cell. By the way, that's going to be another podcast because um, states like uh, Florida, Texas, California, New York, and some others, they're heavy on sickle cell. I'll get into that on another podcast. But anyway, for iron uh, deficiency anemia, you expect the reticulocyte to be down. Now, what about the MCV and the RDW? The MCV. That's your mean corpuscular volume. You expect that to be down, less than 80. The MCV, guys, that's basically the size of the average RBC. You expect that to be decreased less than 80. The RDW, that's your red cell distribution. That measures the variability of the red blood cell size. That you expect to be increased. You have to know the difference. The MCV is going to be down. The RDW is going to be up. The hemoglobin is going to be down. The ferritin is going to be down. By the way, guys, that ferritin, that's the golden standard for women who are pregnant. Serum iron is going to be down. Total iron binding capacity is going to be up because remember, that total iron uh, binding capacity, that's not our problem. The problem is not having enough uh, iron to bind. That is our problem. So the TIBC is going to be up and the reticulocyte count is going to be what? Down. Professor D, do I need to know all of this? Absolutely, because I have no idea, you have no idea which combination you're going to get it. But I guarantee you, you're going to get at least one iron deficiency anemia. You have to know it. All right, so what are you going to teach the patient about prevention? Same thing you guys learned in nursing school. You're going to teach them, obviously, to increase iron in their diet. If um, this is a peds question, you're going to teach the parents to make sure that they're giving this child iron-fortified uh, formula and cereal. If mom's breastfeeding, make sure that she starts putting iron supplementation in the breast milk when that baby is, what, four months of age. So let's talk about iron-rich foods. Meat. Specifically, what kind of meat? Organ meats, liver, kidney, all right? Meat, dried beans, dark green leafy vegetables. So while we're speaking about diet, yes, we're going to teach them to increase iron. But what do we know about iron, ladies and gentlemen? It is very constipating. So while they're getting all of um, this extra iron in their diet, they need to be having what? Fiber and drink lots of water. Not juice, because juice is full of sugar that can make them even more constipated. Water. They need to drink lots of water and eat foods high in fiber because iron is very constipating. Remember, if we're if this question is um, presented as a maternity question of iron deficiency anemia, remember your gold standard is the ferritin. It's going to be decreased. You're going to teach the patient to have plenty of rest periods because remember, they're going to have decreased activity and tolerance. They get tired very easily. And of course, you're going to try to find the source 
of the iron deficiency anemia. What's going on with them? Are they bleeding? Is it because the patient's having uh, heavy menses? You know, does the patient have H. pylori? We have to, you know, try to find the cause of the low iron. So let's talk about um, teaching for iron replacement. You're going to teach a patient, just like you guys learned in nursing school, guys, take the iron, what, one to two hours before meals on an empty stomach. Why? We do not want uh, the iron competing with food for those receptor sites. So we want the patient to take it on an empty stomach one to two hours before they eat, and we want them to take it with what? Vitamin C. Because remember, guys, it's that ascorbic acid that helps that iron to be absorbed. What's the point of taking iron if you can't absorb it? So take it on an empty stomach, and we definitely do not want them taking that iron at any time within um, a couple of a couple of hours of taking antacids because think about it. What do antacids do? Are you supposed to take any medications with antacids? No, because it's going to neutralize the med. The med's not going to be effective. So no antacids, no dairy products, no tetracycline. Just stick to that good one to two hours on an empty stomach, no medications before or after. Something else to keep in mind, you have to teach a patient in advance that iron will turn their stool a very dark color. You don't tell them that they're going to freak out, right? And if you have to order iron for the patient, let's say let's say this is an iron deficiency anemia question, but it's peds, right? So how are you going to order that iron for the patient? It's going to be um, syrup. It's going to be oral, oral iron. So you're going to teach mom and dad to make sure they give that iron to the patient. They have to take it through what? A straw so they don't stain their teeth. Remember, guys, most of your questions are going to be for the adult, but especially if you're testing your family nurse practitioner, you will get some maternity and you will get some peds. So depending on how that question's laced, you have to know how to address each situation. All right, when it comes to prescribing, guys, most likely you're going to be prescribing the ferrous sulfate about 325 milligrams three times a day between meals, not with meals. Remember, they're taking it on an empty stomach, all right? And after the first initial um, prescription that you give for that iron, you're going to have that patient come back four to six weeks because we want to redraw those labs and see if there's been an improvement. And guys, that's your iron deficiency anemia in a nutshell. Very quickly, I'm going to recap the most important things you need to know for testing purposes. Microcytic, hypochromic, happens more in women than men. Uh, risk factors, the biggest risk factors being an adolescent, being an adolescent female, older than 65, taking meds that can cause GI bleeding, such as aspirin, NSAIDs, um, having low socioeconomic status, pregnancy, signs and symptoms, fatigue, inability to concentrate, activity intolerance, cold intolerance, uh, pica, pica, guys, you know I can't pronounce if you've been following me for any amount of time, differential diagnosis, you better have on that list your alpha and beta thalassemia, GI bleeding, hypothyroidism, renal failure. Diagnostic labs, low hemoglobin, low MCV, increased RDW, decreased ferritin, golden standard for the pregnancy, uh, increased TIBC, but decreased reticulocyte. Make sure you know the foods that are high in iron. Make sure you're going to teach them about the constipation, how to prevent constipation. And do not forget what's most likely ordered is going to be the ferrous sulfate, 325 milligrams, three times a day 
between and not with meals. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I appreciate your support. If there's anything you'd like to hear me discuss, be sure to email me at nexusnursingpodcast at gmail.com and you'll be hearing from me next week, Sunday, one o'clock.